Welcome to the third season of Murder in 20 podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you're a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder in 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Bobby Stevens here. Please bear with my voice as we it's getting over a cold. In Florida, where the ocean winds curl around the palm trees, Eric Pearson grew up angry and violent. Eric got into a life of crime at an early age. By 16, he committed several burglaries and in 1983 went to prison. But nine months later, he was already out on probation. Four months later, Eric was in Davie, a town on the southern tip of Florida, 25 miles north of Miami. Back then, it had a population of 20,000. Davie is known for historic sites, park trails, flamingo gardens, and local shops and restaurants. Eric towered over most people at six foot eight and 200 pounds. In October 1984, Eric was 17 when he broke into an apartment. Sound asleep in their bedrooms were Mother Elizabeth and her 22-year-old daughter, Brenda. Eric tiptoed through the rooms until he found the kitchen, where he grabbed two knives. Back down the hall, he entered Brenda's room. Without saying a word, Eric used one of the knives and began sawing back and forth along Brenda's neck. She woke up not knowing what was happening. She felt pressure on her neck. Brenda's defensive instincts kicked in fast. She grabbed the knife, then sat up and opened her eyes. Staring back at her was a face mere inches from hers. She started screaming bloody murder and managed to wrestle the knife away from Eric and made her way to the foot of her bed as Eric got up and ran out of the apartment. Elizabeth woke up and came out of her room, but Eric was already gone. Thanks to Brenda's quick thinking and her ability to fight, she survived. Police were on to Eric pretty quick, and within a week, he was arrested and charged with attempted first-degree murder and burglary. Less than a year later, Eric pled guilty and was sentenced to 18 years in prison. The judge recommended he receive psychiatric treatment. In November 1989, Florida's prisons were overcrowded, and Eric was given an early release after serving only four years of his 18-year sentence. During his time in prison, he never did receive psychiatric treatment, nor did he learn how to deal with his anger or learn new skills for when he got out. It wasn't long before he fell back 
into what he knew. A year later, Eric committed another burglary and went back to prison, where he spent another two years before being released in October 1992. Now 27, Eric matured. His dark hair was short, his eyebrows straight, or his light blue eyes. His mouth was narrow, his chin long, and his ears tipped outward slightly. His neck was thick to go with his big frame. Fifteen months later, it was Friday, January 22, 1994, and 17-year-old Christina Whitaker walked to the bus stop. Looking forward to a job interview, she had at a restaurant. Roxanne went to tell her daughter goodbye, but it slipped her mind as the bus pulled away. Christina and her mother Roxanne had always been close. The South Florida Sun Sentinel reported that when Christina was in Girl Scouts, her mom was the pack leader. And when Christina played softball, her mom was a coach. Her stepfather took her to the ranch to feed the cows and taught her how to fish. Christina was bright, and even though she dropped out of high school, she still managed to obtain her diploma and had plans to join the Army and work in intelligence. It's not known exactly how Eric and Christina came to be on the same street later that night. After spending the day at a bar drinking beer and indulging in cocaine, Eric picked Christina up. They viciously attacked her, used a concrete block to beat her head and face until she was unrecognizable. He strangled her, then buried her body at a construction site. The next morning, Eric thought about what he'd done and called his best friend, Mark LaRocca. He told Mark, I think I killed somebody, a girl. He explained that the girl had ended up in his car and that he snapped. He described the area where he dumped her body. Mark drove to the area and spotted a shoe, then a rock covered in blood. Mark told Eric to tell his mother, Lona. He confessed to her. Lona called police. They recovered Christina's badly beaten body. Police knocked on her parents' door. In order to identify their daughter, police needed to retrieve fingerprints from her room. Roxanne went to the morgue, seeing her daughter's body under a sheet. She reached in and held her hand, wishing she hadn't forgotten to say goodbye that morning. Meanwhile, Eric went on the run with his girlfriend, fleeing north of the coastline for 1,300 miles. Three days later, Police spotted them sitting in a vehicle outside a convenience store in Susquehanna Township in Pennsylvania. Eric was arrested and charged. Investigators asked him why he murdered Christina, but he wouldn't say. Two months later, 
he was offered a plea bargain and pled guilty to second-degree murder. Roxanne made an emotional speech in court. With her voice shaking, she told the judge, These things I still have of hers are just dust collectors now. The judge then sentenced Eric to 40 years with 15 years mandatory. Christina's mother dealt with her grief by working to change the law so that no other mother would have to go through the pain of losing a daughter because a dangerous felon had been let out early. She knew that if Eric had served the time the judge had handed him, Christina would still be alive. Roxanne became the president of a local chapter for STOP, which stands for STOP Turning Out Prisoners. The group lobbied for legislation that would keep a killer behind bars for a minimum of 85% of their sentence. Had that legislation been in effect when Eric was sentenced, he would have served at least 34 years. Instead, Eric was given supervised release in September of 2020, after serving only 26 years of his 40-year sentence. Eric's hairline had receded, the top of his head now shiny. Short gray hair sat above his ears and circled around the back of his head. He sported a full white beard and mustache trimmed short. His pale skin emphasized his blue eyes. Exactly one year later, on September 24, 2021, 33-year-old Erica Verdicia left her home to buy a pack of cigarettes. Her parents had come to Miami from Cuba, and Erica attended school on plantation. That evening, a surveillance camera recorded Erica in the passenger seat of Eric's truck as he pulled into a gas station. We don't know why Erica was with him, but her friends say there's no way she would have gone with him if she knew about his past. Local 10 News reported that at 2.15 a.m., Eric's truck was pulled over by a traffic cop. Erica was in the passenger seat and didn't seem to be in distress, and the officer didn't detect that she was in any danger, so they were free to go. At 3.46 a.m., Erica talked on her cell phone for two minutes. Soon after, she and Eric got into an argument, and he attacked her with a screwdriver. He stabbed her twice in the neck before stabbing her once in each eye. Then he drove to the canal behind his girlfriend's home, tied rocks to her body, and threw Erica in the water. When Erica didn't return home, her mother Carmen knew something was wrong. She wouldn't leave her six-year-old daughter alone. Erica's phone was turned off and her social media accounts had gone silent. Carmen used social media to reach out to Erica's friends. One of them told her that he'd seen Erica with a grungy-looking man at a sandwich shop and that he'd asked him what his name was. 
the man replied. Eric Pearson. Carmen quickly googled Eric's name and was shocked and horrified to see that he'd been convicted of murder. She contacted police immediately and reported her daughter missing. Ten days later, detectives tracked down Eric. He claimed that after the traffic stop, he'd gone to a gas station, and while he was getting gas, Erica had walked to a nearby fast food restaurant, and that when he went to meet her, she was gone. Police retrieved the video from the gas station and knew Eric was lying. Four days later, they interviewed him again. Eric surprisingly gave them permission to search his truck. In the back seat on the passenger side, they discovered blood. That night, police received a call from Eric's girlfriend. She told them that he'd been acting weird the last couple of weeks and had made some odd statements. That he'd stared at the canal behind her mobile home and once commented, Damn, that bitch stinks. And if they don't find a body, they don't have a case. The next afternoon, Davie Police Department's dive team located Erica's body. Carmen was furious and asked why criminals were being let out of prison early. She said they let out a killer and now her granddaughter was left without her mother. Eric was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. He confessed to the murder, but claimed he'd killed Erica in self-defense. But police didn't believe him. At five foot seven and 160 pounds, she was no match for his hulking, six-foot-eight-inch, 240-pound frame. Eventually, he told detectives that it escalated, turned into something it shouldn't have, that his anger got the best of him, and he went overboard. Back behind bars, he said, I have got to live with this every day. I've got to wake up and deal with this. Not just one, but two. Then he posed a question. Am I fit for society right now? Probably not at this point. And the Florida was safer with him in prison. A month after Erica's murder, her friends and family gathered at the spot that she had been so callously discarded and remembered their friend, sister, and daughter. In the memory of her fun-loving spirit, they wore bright blue t-shirts bearing her name and picture with the words, Fly high, baby girl. They covered a wooden cross with flowers and balloons. Erica's daughter released butterflies to honor her mother, as a woman's voice could be heard saying, Fly high. Eric pled guilty to first-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison. At 55 years old, society can only hope that this time, Eric stays behind bars the rest of his life. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Cynthia Kaufman and James Marlowe. 
Cynthia left her religious upbringing behind and went on the road with a felon. Fueled by drugs, she and James set out to be the next Bonnie and Clyde. Stealing cars, robbing, kidnapping, and murder. If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or murderin20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music sound effect from Vaseline Studios and Quick Sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers. <laughs>